0: Things Dave was sharing last night. It was so powerful. You know, he made this statement. He said, through the death of my son, God was glorified. And you know, there's a lot of people that would disagree with that statement. If they didn't know I was going to say or do any of this, and I, I, you know, I just... But I've watched this family over the last year. I've watched their anger and their hurt and their great disappointment and their frustration. But I've also watched God just do a work. And I've watched their growth. And I've been amazed, and it's been such a witness to me. How God has worked in and through their lives. In ways they don't even realize. And I believe there are people today who are not here. They probably, probably don't even know who most of them are. That were touched. Not only by Caleb. Caleb but touched by the entire family. And, you know, one of the things Dave said last night, you know, that God achieved his purpose through Caleb's life. And in some accounts, some would say Caleb had a short life. But Caleb had the life God gave him. And Caleb achieved the purpose God created him for. And this family today is still walking out and achieving and fulfilling the purpose that God has for their lives. And when it's all said and done, church, and this is why these things are so, so important for us to understand when it's all said and done, we come down to the very sovereignty of God. And we have to choose whether we will trust Him above and beyond everything else in spite of what life looks like, in spite of what life brings our way. Do we trust in the sovereign God of the universe? And I... I've been so encouraged to see this family put their trust in the sovereign God of the universe. Not that they have all their questions answered. You know, when it's all said and done, our questions really don't amount to a hill of beans. Because we're still left with one thing standing before us, and that is God. And I can look at my questions, or I can look at God. And God can choose to answer my questions, or He can choose not to but I'm still left with God. Thank you for being a witness and being an encouragement to me and I believe to so many others as you have stood and even in your anger and your hurt, you've stood though and you've come to a place of deciding to trust God in spite of everything. And I know, I (laughs) No, that's exactly what Caleb would want. That's exactly what he would want. Because that's where he is. Amen. Father, we just pray for this family. Lord, in spite of their great faith, Lord, there is still pain. There is still, Lord, pain and a scar. And and there will always be a degree of pain. And there will always be a scar. But Father, I'm just so thankful for your faithfulness and your unconditional love that you've poured out in their life. And Lord, even in the midst of all that they've been through, Lord, they have never stopped pouring that love into the lives of others. In their deepest pain, in their deepest darkness, God, they never stopped loving And we're so thankful for that, God. And we're thankful, Lord, that we have been the recipients of that love. That in your grace and in your divine providence, you have arranged for us to be the recipients of the love that you've poured out into this family. And we are thankful for that, Lord Jesus. And we are thankful that you've allowed us to walk with them through this valley and through this darkness. And we thank you, Lord, that you've allowed us to also see that you've brought them, Lord, and you are bringing them to that higher ground, so to speak, to that table and to that place prepared, Lord, even in the presence of our enemies. Lord, you're such a faithful God, and we're so thankful today. We're thankful because we know, we know where Caleb is. And we're thankful, God, for the love that you poured out and for the faith that stands as a testimony. God, we just say thank you today. I thank you for this family. I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. And Lord, for everything, we give you the glory, and we give you the honor. We thank you for the life of Caleb Brooks and the testimony his life is. His life remains to be. We thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. In God good. <laughs> Hallelujah. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to talk about being members of the body today. This is really continuing on in our series on spiritual gifts. Because we can't fully understand the place and the purpose of spiritual gifts if we don't understand the place and the purpose of being a member of the body of Christ. And I know that I'm kind of taking this from a, a general perspective. I'm not dealing in, the, in, in specificity with what these gifts are, how they operate, and, because I feel like we're way too caught up in that feel like we focus on that so much to where our gift becomes the focus. And, 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 it, and it becomes such that, that the church begins to, it appears, to worship gifts more than they worship God. And it was never meant to be that way. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Dave, did you want to say something? And if they were all one member... Where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, if I, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather these members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on these, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. That there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. I think we've seen an example of that even in our own congregation, on more than one occasion. And it's the way it should be. When one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Even as we honor Caleb's life today, we rejoice in being able to honor that life. Because he is, he was a member of the body he is a member of the body you are members of the body we're not separate pieces and separate parts disconnected even if you live a disconnected life there are there are believers out there living disconnected lives but but the reality is they're not disconnected if they're in Christ they're members they're parts of the body And we should honor them and rejoice with them and recognize them and supply to them what needs to be supplied, even as they supply to us what needs to be supplied. That's why I say over and over, you coming here on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever is not about what you're going to get. That's what we've turned church into. It's all about what I'm going to get. No, we come because we are supplying to one another only what you can supply. Only what I can supply. And it's not just about me standing up here teaching you, preaching to you. It's the relationship that we've come into because we are members of the body of Christ. And if this is the only time that you are relating to the body, then you are, you are going to be deficient your growth and your flourishing in the, in the things of the faith and the body of Christ and the life of Christ is going to be hindered. Because just like my, my arm, if I tie a, a, a rope around my arm too tight, it affects my hand because the blood supply is cut off. There's not a flow, a proper flow. If you're not living in relationship connected, there's not a proper flow Us being here today is about the flow of the life of God, the love and the encouragement to to put our arms around a family who's still hurting, to rejoice with another family for, for whatever reason. This is the importance of the body of Christ, to grow together in the knowledge of Christ so that we Together, understand and begin to comprehend the things that the Scripture is revealing to us so that we are of one mind, of one purpose, of one vision. And that would be the mind of Christ, the purpose of Christ, the vision of Christ. And so we see that the body is so important. To be a member is not just about me, but, but the reality is being a member of the body is about the body. And so Paul goes on and he says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Then he asks these rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? And the answer is no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No, how do we know the answer to his rhetorical question is no? How do we know that? Because the scripture gives us the interpretation. Where is the interpretation? It goes right back up. It goes right back up to look at verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If all were apostles, where would be the body? How could the body function? If all were prophets, how could the body function? If all were teachers, if all were workers of miracles, if all were had the gift of healing, if all spoke in tongues, if all, you just go on, he says, Do all have the gift of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. Now we'll get to that later on, but not today. So let's go back up to verse 18. Do you see what Paul is teaching the body of Christ here? He's saying, guys, you can't be jealous toward one another because one has one gift and and another has another gift, or because you feel like you've been shortchanged because you haven't been made this or you haven't been made that. He says, God, but now God, verse 18, God has set the members, say, I'm a member. Say, God has set me in the body just as he pleased. What?" Does that verse communicate to us? It communicates the sovereignty of God. God didn't set each one in as they pleased. God didn't say, okay, now if you'll just give me your top three choices. You ever filled out an application that says uh, your number one choice, your number two choice, and your number three? And so God says, just fill this out and give me your top three choices of, of what gift you'd like to have. And, and if your top choice is available, we'll give it to you, but if not, then we'll give you your second choice or your third choice if the first two are taken. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. God has set the members, each one of them, he's very clear in what he's communicating. You have been set in, each one of you, just as God pleases. So as a member of the body of Christ... My awareness should not be in what I am. My awareness should not be in what gift I have or what gift I don't have. My hand, it would be ridiculous. My hand doesn't walk around with me, carried around by my body, wishing it was a foot. Paul says that's ridiculous. That's not the way the body functions. And it's not the hand's place to decide whether it's a hand or a foot. So, as a member of the body of Christ, my awareness should not be in what I am, but in who I am. Did you catch that? See, we've turned gifts into something that we worship. Turn on your Christian television stations, and you will see the worship of gifts proliferating the airwaves. And it was never Meant to be that way. Paul wrote a whole letter disciplining a church because they were so out of order in terms of their gifts. And he says, guys, it's not about the what I am. It's about who you're connected to. It's about who you are connected in. Who are you in? If you are in Christ, then Christ has set each one of you in the body just as he pleased. So because of who I am connected to, what I am, whether I'm a hand or a foot or an ear or a toe or an elbow, it doesn't matter. What I I am in the body, my function or my place has already been determined where? In him. He determined it. If If I don't have a revelation of that truth, then I will be like a lot of Christians running around today discontent, trying to figure out what they're supposed to do, where they're supposed to do it, how they're supposed to do it, going around trying to make their gift come to pass. Well, God's given me the, this gift in this office, so I'm gonna, now I'm going to make it happen. You're not going to make anything happen. You can't make anything happen. And, and if you do, remember we talked about being an illusion, you're, you're only living an illusion if you think that you can make anything happen. So I'm to rest in the promise of his grace that causes me to operate and to work according to the place and function that he has set for me, where? In his life, in his life. How does my hand function? My hand functions in my body Because it's connected to life. It's in the life of my body. So my hand can function because it's in the life of my body. And my hand can't function outside the life of my body, neither can yours. You can't function outside the life of God's body, which is the body of Christ. You can't do it. And if you think you can function independently of that and go out and make your own thing happen, then you're living an illusion. That's rooted and grounded in deception. And there is much of this deception floating around out there these days. So let's talk about how we operate in the body. Many believers are trying to operate independent of the head, and they don't realize it. So if I get it into my mind that God's gifted me with whatever and I feel like I'm now going to go out and save the world because God's given me a gift. Do you see that that is the height of pride and arrogance? It is. And I might not even realize how proud and how arrogant that is. I might might think I'm very humble, but any attitude within us that thinks that we're going to do something apart from God really is the height, the pride, and arrogance, whether we realize it or not. We try to fill our life with good works, trying to find our place in the body. And, and here's my point of everything I'm talking to you about today. If you, will, if you will become aware of who you're connected in, if you'll become aware of Christ who is your life, and you will seek Him if you will seek to know Him, not what my gift is, not how I operate. If you'll seek to know Him, I promise you, God will cause you to function and to operate and to work in the very place that He's created you to be, doing what He's created you to do. And, and it won't be just two hours on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a no. It, it's it it is who you are all the time. You don't stop being a body, the body of Christ when you leave these doors. You're not part of the body just when you're here. You're part of the body all the time. And so whatever gift God's given you, whatever function, whatever place, you walk in that all the time. Whether you're at work or whether you're at home, whether you're dealing with family, friends, enemies, it doesn't matter. And so we need to begin to understand That as we grow in the knowledge of him, as we seek him, he'll take care of the what. He'll take care of the how. He'll take care of the, he'll do all that. You won't even realize he's doing it. He will just do it. I promise you he will. I rest in him. I'm not trying to figure out how to make, okay, God, now you've revealed to me that you've given me this gift. This is my gift. Now, God, how do I make it happen? Well, that's our first mistake. That's the wrong question to ask. I can't make anything happen. But, but as I seek Him, as I grow in the knowledge of Him, as my eyes and my heart are turned to Him, man, He just causes everything to flow in its proper place. So we're not to seek a place or a function, we're to seek Him. And in seeking Him, we come to know Him as the head of the body, which we're members of. So we're seeking him, the head. So here's an example. Does your hand... Now, why am I going back to this analogy of my hand or or the body? Well, because this is the exact analogy that Paul uses with the Corinthians. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you see this is exactly... Paul is using the body, the physical body, as an example to help them understand... How things operate in the body of Christ. So does your hand have to find its place before it can function in your body? When did your hand find its place in your body? What seminar did your hand go to to to, to learn how to function as a hand? What book did your hand read in order to maximize its potential as a hand? Because it has the gift of hand. It's got the office of hand. It didn't, did it? How, how in the world did your hand learn to be, become a hand and function as a hand? I'll tell you how. Because God made it to be a hand, and, and it didn't have to learn anything. It just did it. It did it, why? Because it was connected to the life of the body. And who directed the hand to do what the hand does? The head does. Thank you. So, well, okay. So what about your eyes? How did your eyes learn to see so clearly? What about your ears? How did your ears learn to hear? How did your nose learn to smell or your mouth learn to talk? Or your feet learn to walk? How did they do that? They did that because that's what they were created to do. And they didn't spend 10 or 15 or 20 years trying to figure out how to operate in their gifting. They didn't spend hundreds of dollars on books that they should have just saved that money instead of spending money on all those books trying to figure out how to be a better hand, a better ear, a better nose. No. They are connected to the life of the body. And because they're connected to the life of the body, they work. They function. So your members function because of what God created them to do. They function resting in the body, allowing the life of the body to work through them so that they are working as the body is working. My hand is working as my body is working. My feet are working right now, but they're working because my body is working. Why? Because my head is directing it to work. They work under the direction of the head. They work empowered by what? Empowered by the life that's in the body. Amen, church? Do you see? We get so stressed out over, I, you know how I know, because I used to be the same way. I still have people, I just want to know what my gift is. I want to know what my place is. I want to know what my function is. Why are you asking me? I didn't create you. God created you. That's like the hand asking the big toe. Are you sure I'm supposed to be a hand? Why are you asking me? I'm just a big toe. I'm just a created member too. Now, see, God, God, do we really trust what what 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says? Do we trust the sovereignty of God that God has set each one in the body just as he pleased. That if I'm a hand, I'm a hand because God made me a hand. If I'm a foot, it's because God made me a foot. But I don't want to be a foot. Well, then talk to the head. You ever had someone say, talk to the hand? No, don't talk to the hand, talk to the head. Talk to the head. So is the body of Christ just like our natural bodies in that sense? As believers, we function in the body of Christ as we rest in the body, as we allow the life of the body. What is the life of the body? What's the life in us? Christ, the Holy Spirit. and Christ dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus and the Father are not three separate entities living three separate lives. They are three separate persons, but they are one. Christ lives in me. How does he do that? By his spirit. He lives in me. And his spirit in me is the life. It's the life of the body. He's the life that's in me. That's the life I possess. I possess. You possess. If you're born again today, you possess the life of the spirit of God. He is your life. Christ is your life. And so we function allowing the life of the body to work through us. And so we work as the body is working. We live as He lives. We function as He functions. And we work and we function as a member of the body under the, under the direction of the head. Who's the head? Christ is. He's the head. The head is directing the life of the body to work, to function. To operate. It's not my hand's place to determine what work my hand is going to do. My head determines what work my hand is going to do. When I pick up a hammer to drive a nail, I do that. My hand does that because the head just told the hand to do it. See, we live under the illusion that that me and God are two separate entities and, and, and me and God are working in partnership together. No, no. We're not in partnership together. Partners are two separate people who have come into an agreement. I'm in him. I'm in his body. I'm not his partner. and He's not my partner. No more than my hand is a partner to my head. My hand is a member of the body. My hand is linked by life to my head. And my hand is alive because it's connected to the life that's in this body. So we're not partners with God. If you have Jesus as my co-pilot on your car, go take it off right now. Take it off. He's not your co-pilot. You have no part in pilot. See, there goes Courtney. She's going to go take it off her car right now. (laughs) We have no part in driving or directing anything. He is the head. You drive and direct as much as your hand drives and direct. Now, you tell me how much your hand drives and directs your body. It doesn't. Your head drives and directs your hand. The reason we fundamentally resist that is because we want to be in control. And you know what part of us wants to be in control? It's our fallen nature. That's what got man in trouble to to begin with. It's our fallen nature that, that... that wants to be in control so bad that we'll even create theologies that prove that Jesus is my co pilot. He is my partner. I do have a say in this. Mm-mm. Listen, I'm a member of the body. It felt good to take that thing off your car, didn't it? So we work, we function under the direction of the head. I trust in the sovereignty of God. I'm not trying to figure out what I am. I want to grow in the knowledge of who I am in. I want to know my head. I want to to have such clear lines of communication that when my head speaks, just like Jesus said, when I hear my Father speak, I speak. When I see my Father do, I do. He was a perfect Reflection: a perfect image of the Father. Why? Because the Father was in him and he was in the Father. He wasn't like having special vision, seeing up in heaven. No, the life of the Father was in Christ and, and Christ was in the Father. This is what he told. This is what he told Philip. It's what he told his disciples in John 14. Listen, church, the life of God is in us The life of Christ is in us the same way Jesus was directed by his Father is the same way we should be directed by by Christ Jesus, our head. And if God wants to make me or get me any way he wants to, then I am left with trusting my sovereign head. This is why the prophet Jeremiah says, Who are you, O pot, to say to the potter, Why have you made me the way I am? Paul is saying the very same thing. Who are you, O Corinthians, to say, God, why did you give me the gift you gave me? I wanted the gift that guy got. Don't you know that God has set each one of you in the body just as he pleased? That's a revelation we need to get. You know why? Because my hand doesn't stress out over what it's supposed to do. It just does it at the direction of the head. God doesn't want us to stress out over what we're supposed to do. If we we understand how connected we are to his life, we shouldn't stress out over what he wants us to do. We just just follow the direction of the head and we do it. Because, Because I'm not the one that's going to make it happen. He's going to make it happen. It's not my strength and my power that's going to achieve it. It's his strength and his power that's going to do it. I Am called to rest in that. So sometimes we're very conscious. Now think about this. Sometimes we are very conscious of the work we're doing as the body is working under the head. You realize that. I'm very conscious of what I'm doing right now. I'm preaching to you. I'm teaching you. And I'm very conscious of my preaching and my teaching. And so I I could sit here and I could enumerate on a piece of paper... the the things that I might be accomplishing as God works through me in my preaching and my teaching. But then there's other times when we're not aware at all of the work that's going on, that God is doing in us and through us. But is God working any less just because we're not aware of it? No. But, But here's what I should, though, understand. Whether I am aware or not aware... Everywhere I go and everything that I do, God is present, God is working, God is moving, God is functioning through me, he, it's His life in me, it's His head that's directing me. And so I, I need to understand, have this understanding, it doesn't matter whether I'm aware or not aware, I need to know that wherever I go, whatever I do, God's working. And, and His work is not dependent upon what I see, whether I know He's working. Whether I know what witness or what testimony or what, what my life, what God has done through my life. So I, I, I was thinking about this last night. You know, I've got a compost pile. I mean, you guys got a compost pile? I got a compost pile. Do you know that those worms are working for you in that compost pile and they don't even know it? Now, seriously. They're working there, doing what they're doing. Why? Because that's what God created them to do. But there's a work taking place. What I'm saying is this. We get so caught up by what we see or what we don't see. And because I don't see certain things, because I don't perceive certain things, because I can't see the cause and effect relationship, doesn't mean it's not there. It doesn't mean that, that just because I can't see the cause and effect in my life, through my life, that God's not working in my life, through my life. Do you understand that? That everywhere you go, your gift, your function, your place, you being a member of the body, it goes with, that's who you are. It's what you are. It's not something you walk in and out of. It's who you are all the time. And God will use, He will use anything and everything to do His work, whether you realize it, whether you're conscious of it or not conscious of it. This is how God works in and by and through every aspect and every detail of our life. Do you believe that, church? That God works in and through and by every aspect and every detail of our life, whether we're clued in on it or not. He does. And this is why Paul tells us to do all things as to the Lord. Because in all we do, whether conscious or not, we do in him so he is ever working, ever directing, and ever bringing all things together for good and for his glory. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. You know who he was talking to there? He actually was talking to slaves. But it applies to us. Whatever you do, well, what does that leave out? Nothing. Whatever you do, do it how? As to the Lord. Well, I know if I'm preaching and teaching on a Sunday morning, I, man, I need to do that as, as to the Lord. If I'm teaching children, I need, oh, yeah, you well, know, no. I mean, in everything you do, do it as to the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that we we always hit the mark, right? Thank God for His grace. But I do need to begin to live conscious of this reality that everything I do, I should do as to the Lord. Why? Not because I'm afraid God's going to zap me if I don't. But I live conscious of the fact that I am a member of His body. And, and, And if I am a member of his body is just like every member of your body. It's doing something all the time. You know how you know? Do you realize your body does all kinds of things you're not even conscious of? Uh, you know how you know that? Because when you have pain, let's just say your knee or your back. Let's just say your back. For those of you who never have back pain, man, your back does things and you don't even know what it does. But But when you have back pain and you've got a slipped disc or dislocated uh, disc or vertebrae, I mean, the least little bitty move you make is like magnified and it hurts. But, But other than that, when there is no pain there, you're not even aware of all the things that's going on in your body. But there's things going on, right? There's a work taking place. So it is with the body of Christ. So God works in and through everything, and we know God works in the good things. That's obvious, right? We can, this is another thing, we're constantly judging good and evil, good and evil. God says, don't eat from that tree. But, But we do, and we have, and we still have this knowledge, and so we fall into this trap of judging everything, and we say, oh, that was good, boy, that was God, that was good. But when Dave Brooks told me last night, he said, God was glorified through the death of my son. He said, I realize that now. I said, you know, Dave, there's a lot of people that would hear you say that that would just think you are a major heretic for even letting those words come out of your mouth. Do we think God only works through the quote-unquote good things? What about the hard and the fiery trials that God allows? The bottom line is God allowed Caleb Brooks, and a lot of other of our loved ones to depart this earthly life. So what are we going to do with that? Is the devil more powerful than God? Are we more powerful than God? You go ahead and massage that theology out and see how all that works out. When when it comes right down to it, in the end, at the very end where the rubber meets the road and we get to the very foundation of it, Whatever, whatever happens in this life, it happens because if for no other reason, God allowed it to happen. God could have stopped that. Yeah, he could have, but he didn't. So what are you going to do about that? Well, I don't want to worship a God. I don't want to believe in a God like that. Well, then don't. But it doesn't change who he is. And it doesn't change the fact that if you choose to not believe in Him, then you'll find out one day what that end will bring you. Well, I don't want to worship. I don't want to, I don't want to serve a God like that. Like what? A God that would allow, you know, all those people to die. I don't want to serve a God like that. Then don't. Why do we feel compelled to defend God? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I have found myself on way too many occasions defending God. When in reality, I don't have to defend God. I should never feel compelled to defend God. I should have a reason for the hope that I have. And if I give a reason for the hope that I have, there's no guarantee that someone's going to agree with me. We shouldn't go around church trying to defend God, trying to create... Try to come up with creative ways why, how it can all, everything at the same time can be true. No, it all can't be true at the same time. The bottom line is God is God and He is the Sovereign. And I'm either going to trust in Him or I'm not going to trust in Him. I'm either going to believe that He works in, by, and through everything the good, the bad, and the ugly or He does not. And if He does not, then who tell me? is more powerful than he is, and how did the devil or me or anyone else get one over on God? Well, no, no, he didn't. God allowed it. Okay, he allowed it. He allowed it. That's exactly right. He allowed it. What are you going to do with that? You're left with one of two choices, trust him or do not trust him. Trust Him or do not trust Him. Believe that He works in everything, by everything, and through everything, or don't believe that. He does. He works in everything. In the hardest, most fiery trial possible, which I believe was the murder of the Son of God. I believe the most horrendous thing that ever happened and ever will happen, bar none, was the murder of the Son of God at the hands of sinful men. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we we I'm gonna be honest with you. I think we don't really have a revelation of what really transpired at the cross. That is something that is so far back, it's just something that's been part of our theology for so long, it's become so minimized. And our troubles and our issues and what we think is going to happen one day become so magnified that we have lost sight of the magnitude, the severity of what happened, what transpired when Jesus Christ died on that cross. And I'm telling you what, there has and there will never be anything to compare to it. Nothing. Yet, God the Father allowed it. Matter of fact, here's what Peter and John said. For truly, Acts four twenty seven and 28, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, these things were done to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined beforehand. Did men kill Jesus? Absolutely. Were those men held accountable and will they be held accountable? Absolutely. But yet, who, whose hand and whose purpose determined that those men would kill Jesus? It was the hand and the purpose of the Father. Can you trust a God like that? that would, by his own hand and his own purpose, put his very own son to death? Can you trust a God like that? See, that's a question that you've got to answer. We want to skate around and skirt around all these issues and pretend like, now let's quit pretending, church, and let's get down to where where really the rubber meets the road. Do we trust God for who he is? And I'm telling you what, I don't have to understand Everything concerned in that, those two little tiny verses right there that speak of something so large and so huge. I don't have to understand. I don't have to have God the Father give me every explanation of what his motive was and, and how this is all going to work out. Oh, now we can see how it's all worked out, and we know that it was for good. But you tell me at the time those disciples understood that it was for good. Mm, they didn't. You tell me at the time how that nation understood it for good. Oh, he's our Messiah? No way. Messiah wouldn't let that happen to him. You see how finite our wisdom is? How limited our vision is? How big God is? Are we going to trust this God who by his hand and by his purpose put to death the Son of God? Are we going to trust him? I'm going to trust him. Because his ways are higher than my ways, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. He is the sovereign. He doesn't have to answer to me. He does not. I can ask him any question I want, but he is not obligated to tell me anything. I am left with one thing, and this is it. Are you going to trust me, or are you not going to trust me? Well, explain yourself to me, God. God says, I don't have to explain myself to anybody. Are you going to trust me, or are you not going to trust me? Well, as soon as you tell me why you did that, then I'll trust you. Will you keep waiting for that. Maybe I will, and maybe I won't tell you. But I'm still left with one thing. Do you trust me? See, the question's not our question to God. The question is God's question to us. God is saying, do you trust me? Paul says in Romans eight twenty eight, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. And so this Scripture encourages us to know that all things work together for good. How is that possible? How could the murder of the Son of God work together for good, yet it did? How could the things that have happened or maybe are happening or the things that will happen in our lives, how can those things work Work together for good. Well, they do because the Scripture gives us the answer. They don't work together for good because I work them together. Philippians 2, 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do. For what? For His. For His good pleasure. God, where's my pleasure in that? God says, your pleasure is my pleasure. God says, I'm not working for your pleasure. Oh, we think he is, don't we? I heard a minister on TV. I'm sitting there with my dying mother. And I'm watching. I don't know why I do it. It so frustrates me. But I do it just because I want to know what they're teaching and preaching. I could call the man's name and probably 90% of you would know who he is. I'm not going to call his name. He's sitting there talking about how many Corvettes he's been blessed with. Because he sowed his seed. And if you'll sow a $58 seed that represents the 58 blessings that God's promised on you, I'm telling you what, they were swallowing hook, line, and sinker. I'm thinking, have we come to a place where our faith is so carnal, and so shallow. And he said this. He said, some people think Jesus was poor. He said, my Jesus wasn't poor. He said, Jesus said, the poor you'll have with you always. He said, I don't serve a poor Jesus. Jesus wasn't poor. He was rich, and he wants us to be rich too. Now that might seem extreme to you, or it may not seem extreme to you. You might you might be sowing your fifty eight dollar seed hoping you're gonna hit the jackpot too. I don't know. If you are, I would encourage you to get in the book and read the scripture and not be fooled and manipulated by wolves in sheep's clothing. Now this brother, I'm not questioning, he may be he may be totally saved, he may get to heaven one day and realize. I, I don't know. But but I can't, God correct me if I'm wrong, I can't reconcile it as I read the scripture. can't do it. I can't do it. Do we trust? Do we trust that God, that God is the one working, that God is the one that will bring all things together for good? Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you can't see how anything good will come out of it? I have. I know Many people who have been in those situations. And it doesn't really matter whether I can see how, how whether I, listen to me church, it doesn't matter whether I can see how good will come out of a situation. Because it's not for me. God's not working for me. Oh, that hurts us. He is working for His pleasure, not my pleasure. He's working for His glory, not my glory. But here's the thing, if I understand that in His grace, because of His pleasure and for His glory, He has saved me and brought me and made me a part of His body, then I reap the benefit of His life and I reap the benefit of His pleasure. I reap the benefit of His glory. Though the glory, it's not mine, but if I'm in Him, if I'm connected to His life, as a member of His body, I reap the benefit of it because... Because why? Because I am in him. Just like the the food I take in, the nutrients I take in, does my hand reap the benefit of those things? Yes, it does. But I don't do those things just for my hand. I do those things for the life of the body, for the totality. And so is Christ. As I begin to understand that it is God who works and wills to do for his good pleasure, I begin to rest in his sovereignty, in his plan, in his purpose. I rest in being a member of his body connected to his life in Christ. I'm talking to you today about being a member of the body of Christ. To not see yourself as as a disconnected member. To not see God as your partner or your co-pilot, but to see yourself totally and completely, for what you are, totally and completely dependent upon his life. And everything he does in you, by you, and through you is not for you. It is for him. It is for his glory. It is for his pleasure. But we reap the benefits of it because we are in him. And so when is God doing this work through his body? Or I could say this, when is God working in me? Or when is God working through me? Acts 4.30, after Peter and, and, and John were, were, were released, they had healed the, the lame man at the gate, beautiful, and they got in trouble for it, and they were beaten and commanded not to ever preach Jesus again. They come back to where the other disciples were, and they prayed this prayer and they said, Lord, let's just turn over there real quick. Acts chapter 4. This is, this is in the same set of verses. Let's just begin up in verse 27, why do the nations rage, the people plot vain things, the kings of the earth take their stand, the rulers were gathered against the Lord, against their Christ. Verse 27, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants with all boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out whose hand. Your hand. Do you see the fundamental principle there? They didn't say, Lord, that when we stretch our hands forth, we'll heal the sick. No, they understood. It's not my hand. I am. There was even then the understanding of the body. This isn't my hand. This is the hand of Christ. That when we stretch forth your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done, to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When we stretch forth our hand to heal, it's not our hand, it is his hand. Don't focus on the what, focus on the who. Don't worry about what your hand is doing. Know that you are an extension of him and it's he. He is the one, he is the one that is doing it. When we experience God doing healings and miracles through our hands, we know he's working The problem is when we come to believe that if those things are not taking place in our life, then God is not working through us. Can God work through your fiery trials? Yes. He not only can, but He does. Does God work through the hard places of your life? Yes, He does. But I can't see it, Pastor Jeff. It doesn't matter whether you can see it. Just know it. We walk by faith and not by sight. We mistakenly come to believe that if I, quote unquote, am not doing certain things, then he is not working. One reason the body of Christ has become so discontent is that we have lost the sense of knowing that God is working his purpose all the time, in all places, in all situations, in us, through us, in spite of us. Do you know that God works in spite of us? God works through my life in spite of myself. You know why? Because God's bigger than me. God works in you in spite of yourself. You know why? Because God's bigger than you. The head's going to get the member to do what it's going to do because the head is the one directing. In the smallest, most hidden, God is working. In the grandest, most known, God is working. In the everyday, in the mundane, God is working to the once-in-a-lifetime events that you experience. Those are the events that we want to focus on. But I would submit to you that we should be more focused on the everyday than the once-in-a-lifetime. For the very fact of what I just said, those things are once-in-a-lifetime, but every day. In the everyday, God is working. Whether you see him, whether you know it, he is working. Do you trust that? Do you believe that, church? And he's working in you, by you, through you, because he's created you to do that. And he's using you as a vessel for his good pleasure to bring about his purpose for his glory. God is ever working everywhere all the time, bringing about His will and His purpose for His good pleasure and always, always, always for His glory. Always. If we believe that, then let's live it. If you don't believe that, then I would encourage you to get in the Scripture and ask God to give you a revelation of who He is. Seek me, he said. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek after me with all of your heart. It's not the what, it's the who. We must know him. Above all things, we must know him. And as we know him, I promise you everything else will fall into place. And as you come to know Him and as you grow to know Him, I don't see how your life can't become more exciting. We should be the most excited people on the face of the earth. Amen. Not because we come in here and we get ginned up and hyped up with music. and No. We should be the most excited people on the face of the earth because of who God is and who we are in Him. If that doesn't excite you, church, then you don't have a revelation of who you are. If God is just your 911 service, and you call on Him when you have an emergency, then you've, you've missed the whole point. I'm telling you, you need to know Him in a deeper and a greater way than you know Him right now. Because you're living under the illusion that the only time you need God is when you have a crisis in your life. If you understood who He is and who we are, you'd understand that I need God just like my hand needs to be connected to me. Let's stand and let's pray.